My name is Ili. I was born in Beirut, Lebanon. I grew up in Cyprus and currently I live in the United States. What's it like becoming a citizen of a new nation? It is a blessing. Also, it's a uh, picture of uh, what God will bring in the future that we are from many many nations, many tongues will be worshiping God together. Uh, but we know our citizenship is in heaven. It's not easy moving from one place to another, but God made himself known to me and opened my eyes to the gospel at a very young age. And I grew up in the knowledge that, that he is the reason I'm able to take my next breath. As a Christian, the same way I find peace with everything. I pray and stand firm on God's promises from the Bible. I ask for help to deal with whatever life brings. And I keep my trust in a God who says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, no matter what the world may say or trials we face. Good morning. I love that smile. It's just a captivating smile. If you see Lee in the hub or somewhere, uh, thank him for sharing bits of our story. He knows what it's like to be a stranger in a, stra in a, in a foreign place. Just like us, we're strangers in a, in a world that's not our home. We are traveling through, and the more we grow deeply in Christ, the less we fit in the society and culture. It's an appropriate theme uh, for our study of Peter's first letter to these believers of the first century, 62 AD, who are scattered around the area then known as Asia Minor, we know as Turkey today. They needed encouragement because they were enduring all kinds of suffering and trials because of their faith in Jesus Christ. They were different from the world. They were distinct from the world, and they didn't fit in either. And they paid the price for it. But they always stayed rooted right where they need to be. And that's the encouragement we need as well as we stay together in Christ. My name is Steve White. Welcome today. We're so glad you're here to worship with us. Let's pray before we go, we go on. Our Father in heaven, we thank you. You call us together to honor the name of the Lord. We need one another. We need to be in community together and fellowship together. We need to keep our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of life, the author of our salvation. And Father, we thank you that we reside in an atmosphere of hope. And so today, Father, all glory goes to you. May you be honored by our time together. I pray we'll all note Jesus is here. In his name we pray, amen. We're in 1 Peter chapter 1 today. I don't know if you've ever had trouble with certain birthdays, like your 30th or your 40th, or Pat, your 80th. You're not 80 yet, are you? You 80? You are 80. Did you have trouble with your 80th? Did you have trouble with your 80th birthday? Did you hear me? No, I'm teasing. <laughs> I'm teasing. Uh, no. You have trouble. Did you have trouble with your 80th? What was your most difficult birthday? You don't know. You probably flew right through them. Some people have trouble with those certain births. My toughest one was 21. Not because I was turning 21, but because of what happened to me. I, I walked out of my dorm room in Cincinnati, and I walked by this guy who had a funny look on his face, but he was a freshman. I thought, well, that, that stands to reason. And then I walked on, went into the restroom, and suddenly a wool blanket was put over my head. I was being kidnapped. 
I was bound up. I was dragged down the back steps of the dorm, thrown into the trunk of a car, driven around the streets of Cincinnati. I really, for a while, thought I was going to die under a wool blanket. I could barely breathe. I am prone to motion sickness. I was about ready to throw up. I was sweating profusely. I was dumped on the floor of my future in-law's living room. The blanket was taken off and my friends sang happy birthday. (laughs) For a brief time, I hated them. And I I learned the real value of uh, the meaning of the old adage, with friends like these, who needs enemies, right? Well, I trust that every year when you have a birthday, you're just thankful. You're thankful that you get to have another birthday and that you have life to enjoy uh, because it is a gift. Life is is a great gift. Um, This series is about being strangers in a in a, in a world that's not our home. And in order to do that well, in order to understand how to get through this life, how to live this full life of faith, we have to understand what has happened to us. And so this is our text of verses 3 to 12. It's chock full of good things. It could be four or five sermons. And, and sadly, we don't have time to parse through all the phrases. But, but here it is, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This, is, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are being shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of troubles, trials. These have, come so that, so, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things they have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. This text tells us about what has happened to us and what it means. First of all, everybody needs a new birth day. In his great mercy... He has given us new birth. It's all about God's prompting. It's all about God's movement. Long before we ever needed a new birth day, God moved. He initiated this day to take place. And so we share together this common joy of this new birth. The Apostle John, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter here in this text, Jesus in his teaching, James in his first chapter of his letter, they all speak of this new life and this new birth. Those, those men themselves comprise most of the words of the New Testament Scripture. Now, sadly, in the broad scope of what Christianity is in the world, sadly, there's often been a distinction uh, drawn between a Christian 
and a born-again Christian, which is a redundancy. It's like talking about wet water or hot heat. There's only one kind of Christian, and that is the born-again Christian. Uh, we, are, we are changed. Now, we know that. Uh, one reason we know it is because of Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night knowing something was not all fully put together in his own life. This man had faith. He believed in God. He knew the, and studied the Old Testament law. He was a man of high standing. He served on the Jewish ruling council. He had he had, a, a, he had a character of high moral standard, moral excellence. But he came to Jesus evidently because something was missing in his life. And so he flatters Jesus and he says, he says back, uh, Jesus says back to Nicodemus, you've got to be born again to be in my kingdom. Then he goes, what? He says, you have to be born of water and spirit to be in my kingdom. That was new teaching to Nicodemus. He didn't understand it. He didn't get it. Now, if Nicodemus, of moral excellence, of great wealth, of influence on a ruling council, student of the law, needed Jesus, needed to be born again, so do I and so do you. We all need to have an occasion of new birth. Being born again is not about becoming a better moral person. It's not, it's not about turning over a new leaf in life. It's not about starting to go to church. Uh, it, it, it's, it's all about realizing that we are unfit to stand before the God who made us without his work in our lives to cleanse us and to make us new. He has to do his work in us. It's not about what we do. It's about what he does inside of us. Now, second of all, your best new birthday gift is hope itself. In his great mercy, he says, you have been give, we have been given new birth He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what the new birth points to and has a striking effect in us when we realize that, that the truthfulness of what has happened in history, that Jesus is God's one and only son who died to take away the sins of the world, and now we're able to be born again, and we have now a living hope. It's not the same as optimistic thinking. Now, I, 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 by nature, am an optimist, but I don't really live in this world and our country very optimistically because I read the paper. Uh, when you read the paper, there's not much to be optimistic about. But I am a man who lives in great hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. While I'm not optimistic about most of what happens in our world, uh, except for a few positive things here and there, the hope we have in Jesus Christ lifts us above the mundane things of the world and carries us more highly than, than, than mere optimism that fluctuates based on life conditions and earth conditions. No, our hope is, rests in the truthfulness that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he was crucified for our sins, that he was buried, he was in the tomb for three days. On the third day, he came out of the tomb, he came back to life, he was resurrected from the dead, and then he, was, and then he ascended to his Father in heaven 40 days later. That's what we believe. It's based on the evidence. Now, I can't prove that to you. I can't prove God exists. 
There are a lot of things I can't prove. I can't prove my wife loves me. There's a lot of evidence for it. I can't prove God exists, but there's an abundant evidence of his existence. I can't prove that Jesus, who he says he is, but I have a lot of testimony, eyewitness testimonies, and account, people who encountered Jesus Christ that gives me overwhelming evidence that he is who he says he is. We all have miserably sinned. And we, he, in spite of that, he gives us the opportunity to be born again so that we can have a living, not a dead hope. It's only called hope, called hope because it hasn't happened yet. But that salvation, that, that full salvation, that full redemption is yet to come when Jesus Christ comes back. Because even though our souls have been saved, not our bodies, they're, they're still fighting. They're still wilting away. They're still diseased. And, and we're still struggling in the body to live in this world, but our hope is real, and one day it will become a reality. In my generation, uh, there was a song, My Generation. It was sung by Peter Townsend of The Who, and the lyrics were, you know, people try to put us down talking about my generation. Just because we get around talking about my generation, things they do look awful cold talking about my generation. I hope I die before I get old talking about my generation. What a great golden life. I hope I die before I get old. Well, Townsend's 74 today. I guess he's gravely disappointed. He's still living. You know, there are a lot of people that die long before they need to. There are a lot of people that wilt away in this life because there's no purpose to live there. There's no hope. You know, they wilt inside. And they stop living long before they die. Jesus Christ came that we may have life and have it abundantly. 1 John 5.13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God and that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know that today? There's nobody here who has heard the gospel of Christ, who's responded to the gospel, who's been believed and been baptized into Jesus Christ, who ought to say, well, I hope so, if you're, to ask if you're going to heaven. That's a ridiculous way to live. If you have to answer that way, there's a reason why you are not sure. And it must be rooted in the fact that you are not living in the way God has called you to that demonstrates that you have been born again. The fruit, the evidence is not there. American Idiot, it's a great name for a musical, right? It was a musical about 10 years ago. It was on Broadway only about a year. Green Day did the music for it. Uh, American Idiot got a couple Tony Awards. And one of the, one of the lines in one of the uh, choruses was, I don't care if you don't care. I don't care if you don't care. The story was about a, a group of people who were cynical about their own cynicism and their lack of purpose in the world. I don't care if you don't care. And that, there's a lot of that in our generation, but there's been a lot of that ever since Adam and Eve ate the fruit in the Garden of Eden. Every generation has had that element into it. And Jesus Christ came that we, didn't, we wouldn't have to live that way. We are more... We are, we are not mere optimists. We may not even be optimists about this world, but we are people of hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's why we're him, his ambassadors in a world that has no hope. Now, third, your new birthday is all about a new you. It's all about a new you. And this, 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 this hope that we have, you know, it changes everything. It changes everything about this newness. When you have hope, hope shapes everything. I remember reading in the paper about a, a woman who was caught in a snowstorm in the mountains of uh, Colorado, and she was afraid she'd freeze before morning because she was out of gas, and so she got out of her car, and she danced all night 
in the snowstorm to keep her body warm, circulation going, so she could be rescued when, when someone found her. And she was rescued. George Herbert was a poet, and he, it reminds me of his words. He wrote, the, the person who lives in hope dances without music. Now, what that reminds me of is sometimes in the course of life, the music stops for a time. He walks out. There's a miscarriage. Your dad dies prematurely. Something happens to your mom. You get a bad health report. You go through financial ruin, and it feels like the music has stopped. But those who have been born again into a living hope, they're able to keep dancing. They're able to keep moving because hope changes everything. And so, this is about a new you. Verse 8, though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. It's, it's fascinating having children, isn't it? It's fascinating because um, they're so different. You know, how, how can you have this one kid and you got the other one completely different? They came out of the same two seeds that came together. They have the same environment and they're total opposites. And you think, how, how can this be true? And yes, why? Because we know physically, physiologically, they have a different DNA. Every single person has a different DNA, right? And yet, as a family, there are certain, there are certain similarities just because you're family. There may be certain facial expressions or, or, or ways that family members walk or the gestures they use or certain uh, tendencies that are very familial. This family shares that together. It's the same thing true in us. When we are born again, what happens is the seed, God's seed, is put in us. And we become new people. And so we still have our differences and distinctions because we're individuals and we have different physiological DNA. But spiritually, because we have a new nature, there's a certain unity we share together because the same Holy Spirit is shared among us. And so the same fruit that, that God, God starts having occur in you as you grow in him is also seen in me. And that's what binds us together. We share together this common nature. And we become increasingly like one another in in, in qualities and in characteristics simply because of what Jesus Christ. We, we are a new you. Again, let me repeat it. Being born again is not whether or not you had a traumatic experience to talk about in your life. I've heard of churches like that. If you can tell about a traumatic experience, then you can be authorized to be born again. Well, that's not scriptural. It's not, it, is a, it is a deciding. I'm, gonna st- I'm just going to start going to church more. That's what I need to do. To have a happier life. Well, no, that's not what being born again is. You can go to church all your life and be as dead when you, when you die as you were at the beginning when you started attending church. You know, some good things can happen, but that doesn't mean you're born again. Uh, you, it, it, um, it, it's not about stopping, simply stopping doing the things that you shouldn't be doing that God doesn't approve of. I mean, should you stop that? Well, absolutely. But that doesn't mean you're born again. It's about having, it's about being made new from the inside out. And how many of you can remember some time when you, you knew what the Bible said, somebody talked to you about the Bible, maybe it was your parents, maybe it was a friend, and you had no interest, you were 
That's you. That's you. You were sort of dead to it all. Raise your hand. That's you. Yeah, a lot of people in the sanctuary services today too. And here you are. What happened? Well, you started thinking. You started reasoning. You started considering the truthfulness of what this is saying. And it became a reasonable faith. It, it made sense to you. And suddenly, you're, you, you opened your life and your heart to what God was trying to, how God was making his appeal to you. And then you, something started happening within. It wasn't new birth yet, but you started the process of believing and coming to understand of what it means to have faith in the, in the Son of God and believing who is, and everything changed. Now, I was only 10 years old, but I knew who Jesus was, and I knew I had sinned, and I knew I wanted to be a Christian. Now, I understand more about it now than then, but, but I was clear on what I was doing then. I knew what I was doing, and I knew why I was doing it. And I knew there was a heaven. I knew there was a hell. I knew, I knew what I wanted the destination of my life to be. And so I had to spend years working that out and driving it more down but in, inside. So I've never had a, a time of total unbelief. I have time of struggling, of revisiting it all to make sure this is my faith and not my parents' faith for sure. But when we believe and are baptized, everything changes. We have a new nature. And then this joy comes out of us. And that's when life can't touch us, no matter what happens. It's an inexpressible joy. Something happened to me. And if you, don't, if you don't have that testimony to tell, then you need, you need an encounter with Jesus Christ. Now, also, everybody grows after their new birthday. And so it's the same thing with having our babies. You know, we watch them and we, we get excited about the stupidest things in babies. You know, they're slobbering more today than ever have. And so we call each other or, you know, she touched her head. Hey, guess what happened? She just touched her head. You know, little tiny things, right? When we spiritually grow, the same thing kind of happens. And we, we start seeing things happen. Guess what, this, guess what happened? This happened. And I, I, I started praying, you know, or, or I, it didn't rattle me like it once did. You start experiencing the Lord differently. Verses 6 through 8, read this. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, there's a paradox, first of all, in this, because he doesn't say, you've been rejoicing, but now you've got to suffer for a while. Just hold on. You can start rejoicing again. And he's not saying, right now I know you're really suffering, and I know it's hard, but just, you know, they'll, they'll, it'll ease up, and you'll be starting. No, he's, he's putting them both together. Even though... You're going through all these trials. You're rejoicing right through it. It's, it's not your trials are not suffocating your joy. It's continuing on. That's what, that's what hope does for us. It gives us something larger than life circumstances. Now, I've, I've had the honor and privilege of officiating hundreds of weddings. And I, 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 I do feel honored doing that. And they go well. Basically, if, if, the, if the mother bride beha- behaves herself, all goes pretty well. No. And in every one of those weddings, some of you, I, I've officiated your weddings. And in every one of those weddings, Cheryl and Rodney, right there, raise your hands. They were, I did their wedding yesterday. Clap for Cheryl and Rodney. 
I mean, your marrow glow. I can't hardly see today because of your marrow glow. Anyway, congratulations. So yesterday at their wedding, you know, I talked about their rings. Every wedding, I say the same thing. Your rings are made of this precious gold, and this gold was much time and energy had to be spent finding that gold, and then it had to be purified. It had to go. It had to go be heated through the fire so that impurities could be rid from it and be shaped into the pieces of jewelry that they are. It's the same way with faith. Now, when those fires come in marriage, in your marriage, you have little flickers and you have barn fires, right? And those fires can even be, be used to destroy your, faith, destroy your marriage or make it stronger. And by God's power, you can choose the latter and God will purify your marriage and your love and make it richer. It's the same thing with faith. Your faith is tested. And gold, as precious as it is, is passing away. There'll come a time when, when gold won't, won't mean anything, won't have anything. Our faith is more valuable to that, and it's going to be tested. And you have a choice when that test comes. Am I going to be a person of hope? I live in hope. Not based on circumstances. It's not wishful thinking. It's not optimism. Jesus Christ died for my sins. He was buried. He rose on the third day. I have a future with him, and my life is in his hands. What can mere man do to me? And we live above the circumstances of life. We get to choose. Now, so tests come. Now, I was a terrible test taker in school. How many of you were te terrible test takers? Yes, you were. And I can tell you why you were bad. Because you were like me. I was a crammer, not a preparer. The night before, all-nighters to get ready. Do you think I was ready for the final? No way. Same thing in life. If you treat your faith and you're prepared for life as a crammer, maybe you'll get through by the, the hair of your chinny-chin-chin, but that's about it. It's not a solid preparing. What we do in life, in our faith, we, we, we stay in community, we stay in fellowship, we stay in worship, we stay around the, uh, uh, taking the emblems on the Lord's Day, we stay in the Word every day, we stay in praise every day and prayer every day, we, 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 stay, we stay connected all the time. We're always being prepared for the time of testing. So the when it tests, when the test comes, boy, you are ready for that test, and you pass with flying colors because of the hope you have given because you've been born again in Jesus Christ. So that's why coming to church should not be an option for you. Some of you get Saturday night thinking, hey, we're going to go tomorrow or not. That's a terrible way to prepare for the time of testing. It's a terrible way to depend on a preacher on Sunday morning for 30 minutes to give you enough food for the week to eat. You'll starve to death that way. Uh, I, really, friends, we have to practice our faith. We have to practice. And, and Peter is saying here, look, the only way you're going to get through these trials, the only way you're going to do life is you make this hope so valuable that you, you feed it, you live by it, you breathe it. You breathe, what's happened to you? You have a new nature. You're not the old person. You're not the person you once were. Move on. Now, how to have a new birthday. Verse 23, outside of our text, says this. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. And when he talks about the word of God there, I really don't think he's talking about the Bible. It's at least the Bible, but it's more than that. It's all that God is. And long after this world is over, 
and we go to live with the Lord forever, we're going to be exploring the word of God forever and ever. He has given us what we need for faith and practice, for life. But God is so much bigger than this book. And Jesus Christ is the living word. And we're going to spend eternity. You ever gone to a, to a Bible study or been reading at home the scripture or read something or heard a sermon? Think, wow, that was so amazing what I just heard. Eternity is going to be about that. We're going to be exploring, discovering every day, every moment, new dimensions of God. And we're going to be saying, whoa. We're going to be awestruck continually in heaven by the truth of God and who he is. That's what's coming for us. So, so it's saying that it's, it's saying truth got hold of you. That's what it's saying. It started with believing the word of God planted in you. Now, we have three kids. And, of course, I was there for their birth. I was not a good helper. By the time the third one came and she was crying in pain, I can't do this. I said, okay, you don't have to. <laughs> what kind of encouragement is that? Yeah. Uh, tell her. She'll tell you. She's sitting here. She'll tell you. That's exactly how I was. I was terrible. Our kids, your kids were born out of somebody else's labor and pain. And that's the only way we can be born again, friends. Through the suffering of someone else. And Jesus, right before the cross, tells his disciples that. He says in John, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. Her time has come. Time has come. That's a phrase that Jesus uses over and over about his own death and departure from the earth. He'll say often, my time has not yet come. He's using the same language here. Her time has not come. But when her baby's born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now's your time of grief, but I'll see you again and we'll rejoice and no one will take away your joy. The Hebrew writer says, because of the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross, the suffering. What's the joy? You're the joy. He looks at you and says, it was worth it. It was worth it. Now, do you live that way? Do I live that way? I want, I, want, I want to live that way so when he looks at me, man, it was worth dying for you. What a Savior. It's hard for us to understand this comparison of childbirth in our world of epidurals and other pain meds. But in Jesus' world, you know, mothers risked their lives to give birth to a child. But Jesus, it cost him his life to give birth to us. Jesus died to save sinners. And Jesus rose to give hope to those of us who have been born again. So have you had a new birth day? Later, and we'll come back to chapter 3 in 1 Peter. But here's what chapter 3 says. For Christ also suffered for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation of the imprisoned spirits to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, in the ark, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. 
And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, friends, that's why we're always preaching baptism. Because the baptistry is a place that when when you're lowered in that water, baptism, the word baptism means to dunk or to plunge or to immerse. That's why we baptize that way. When you're baptized, you are symbolizing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But you're dying. You're dying. You're dying. You're saying, kill me. I'm ready to die. Bury me. And you are dying to your past. You're dying to your sins. You're dying to the slavery of sin. You're dying to your own kingdom building. You're dying to your own selfish purposes. And you're being resurrected to live for Jesus. And when you do that, he takes away all your sins and he puts inside power for living the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, you may have come from a background where you were sprinkled as a baby or sprinkled as a teenager or an adult. You may have raised your hand at a Christian concert, invite Jesus in your heart for salvation. I'm not saying you weren't saved. I'm not saying you're not saved. That is not mine to give or to take away. That's only of God. All I'm saying is, God has given written instructions on how to respond to Jesus' work on the cross. And his instruction is to repent of the life you've been living, confess him as Lord, be baptized in his name, and be resurrected to be a brand new person. If you have not done that, please take care. In view of God's mercy, be reconciled to God. Don't miss his salvation. Know the joy of actually being born again in Jesus Christ. And you know what happens every day when we come, every week we come together, we're just having another birthday celebration, another new birthday celebration. We are celebrating the fact that we are resurrected people and we share together a common hope, all because God had mercy on our lives and made a way that we could start all over, start brand new, and have a life in him forever. That makes us filled with Paul's to worship the God of our lives. Let's do that right now.